wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. We're back, folks, here on WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, June 20th, 2019. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. And it's been quite the exciting time here on WrestleRant Radio recently. We've had on a lot of great guests over the last month between Alexis, RJ, John Ritland, Sal, and even just last week, we had an awesome interview with the founder, owner, and president of Northeast Wrestling, a great promotion up here in the Northeast, Michael Lombardi. We talked all about Northeast Wrestling, their growth over the last several years, all the great people they're bringing in for the summer season. They just had a show, Brass City Brawl, last Friday, which is basically what we were previewing. And we talked for the article I put up on Bleach Report on Thursday morning today. So it should be up as you're listening to this now. Pretty much breaking down Northeast Wrestling, why it's such a hot spot for wrestlers right now, like John Moxley, like Cody Rhodes, like Jack Swagger, like Ryback, like all these former WWE athletes and people that have since wound up in WWE, like Donovan Dijak, Matt Riddle, Keith Lee, Deanna Perazzo. The list goes on and on of people that have spent time in NEW that are either currently in WWE or have since left WWE. So, NEW is the place to be for professional wrestling fans and professional wrestlers themselves right now. Uh, We talked all about NEW, all the great stuff they're doing right now. That's all available in the article, which I think turned out pretty damn well. So, if it's not up as you're listening to this right now, because this episode should be going up first thing Thursday, the article should be up soon after. So, check that out. But like I said, I was at Brass City Brawl. Brass City Brawl was a great show. And Alexis and I have been to now a lot of shows together. Over the last year, in the year that we've met, we've actually been to maybe 12 wrestling shows. And that includes, but is not limited to, a WWE house show, an episode of Raw, two episodes of SmackDown, a Ring of Honor pay-per-view, the Ring of Honor New Japan G1 Supercard show, and Madison Square Garden, two NXT takeovers, WrestleMania, and Money in the Bank. And maybe one other show I'm not thinking of. But we've been to all those shows over the last year. Yet she said that the greatest wrestling show she has attended to date was that Northeast Wrestling Brass City Brawl show on Friday in Waterbury, Connecticut. So you don't know what you're missing out on until you're there. Northeast Wrestling is such a great, um, you know, organic, intimate atmosphere. And it's always a lot of fun. So be sure to check out all the other upcoming summer shows from Northeast Wrestling. The Bleach Report article up now, as well as my interview with Michael Lombardi last week here on WrestleRant Radio. But the streak continues of cool guests and interesting interviews here on WrestleRant Radio. As next Friday, Ring of Honor is putting on their best in the world pay-per-view, live on pay-per-view of course, Friday, June 28th. Great card set in stone for the show so far. And today we're talking to someone that will be in action on that card as part of the women's tag team match from the Women of Honor division. 
It's going to be the Allure's Mandy Leone and Angelina Love taking on Jenny Rose and her tag team partner. My guest here today on WrestleRant Radio, the Women of Honor World Champion, Kelly Klein. Yeah, today we're talking to the Women of Honor World Champion, who could not have been cooler to interview. We're talking all things best in the world, Ring of Honor, her career so far in the company, the Women of Honor division, and so much more. So we'll start the show off with that. It's about 15, 16 minutes. And then from there, we'll preview Stomping Grounds, Review Raw, Talk Smackdown Live, and everything else going on in the world of wrestling right now. So like I said, guys, the interview with Kelly will be available on Daily DDT either Thursday or Friday in written form. But for now, enjoy the audio version of my interview with the Women of Honor world champion, Kelly Klein. All right, Graham, Gius, and Matthews, you're back with another exclusive interview ahead of Ring of Honor Best in the World, Friday, June 28th. Uh, we have the Women of Honor World Champion Kelly Klein on the line. Kelly, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing great. I'm very excited for the pay-per-view. It's a stacked card. Of course, you're going to be in tag team action yourself and Jenny Rose against the allures Mandy Rose, or Mandy Leone, excuse me, and um, Angelina Love. It's going to be a great tag team match. So with this tag team match coming up in a little in a little over just a week, um, shaping up to be one of the most personal of your career, having been involved in this feud with the Allure, dating back to uh, G1 Supercard at Madison Square Garden, um, and with Best in the World being one of Ring of Honor's 10-pole pay-per-views, how much does this match mean to you? This match is just an opportunity for us to reestablish and show what Women of Honor means and what we've been working for years to build. So, um, you know, I'm happy to to stand up for Women of Honor and and what what we've been trying to build and grow for four years, and this is the opportunity to do it. And it seems like the allure has kind of set their sights on you because of how you represent what women's of wrestling, women of wrestling has become and not what it used to be years ago. Um, how important do you think being different from everyone else has been, um, especially for women's wrestling and how it's led to kind of this surge in um, not just popularity, but how women's wrestling has been portrayed and viewed in the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, women's wrestling is being taken more seriously, not only by the fans, but by athletes and I think that's part of what has created such a surge in the the people who even want to pursue wrestling. It, years ago, the opportunities that women had and the um, the height of success was still very limited in scope. And I'm not one to try to take away any of the options um, or to say that that way was wrong and this way is right I think that there's room for everything and having those opportunities now I think attracts a, a larger pool of really talented athletes and that just creates more competition which helps everyone excel and get better that that competition is always a good thing so I think that's where uh, with the allure they they seem to have this one vision of what wrestling can be and they don't think that there's room for everyone um and i think that's part of why there's the target on me because you know i am the one that represents women of honor and i'm the face of the division and you know, getting the attention and and they want the attention on them so um you know that's kind of where we're different where you know i i don't see any reason why we shouldn't be able to coexist but um you know, they, they want to stomp everything else out that is not exactly what their vision of what women's wrestling should be is, and that's not okay with me. 
And you specifically, Kelly, have been a part of the uh, Ring of Honor's women's division since the beginning, for years now, dating back to 2015. How satisfying has it been for you specifically um, to see women's wrestling come so far? You just talked about it right there, but, uh, you know, specifically for Ring of Honor and how the women have now become, uh, you know, a staple of all these pay-per-views. There was a point where the women of Honor weren't really featured as much on these Ring of Honor shows, and now you guys have a featured match at one of their biggest pay-per-views, Best in the World, next Friday. Yeah, I mean, when I started wrestling, and, and even for a lot of my wrestling career early on, Ring of Honor wasn't really on my radar because it was not somewhere I saw as, as having a lot of opportunities for a female wrestler. Mm-hmm. So the fact that now uh, we've gotten to a point where we have a division and we're being featured on you know, TV episodes and pay-per-views is um, you know, that's, that's major progress. and there are a lot of women who have put in a lot of time and a lot of effort to make that happen and to um, just help build and establish that. And and I think that those women, you know, deserve some kind of, you know, recognition and appreciation or respect for what they've done. And women's wrestling has come so far, obviously, just in general, as he was just talking about, in, in various different promotions, but specifically in Ring of Honor. Uh, what do you feel makes Ring of Honor the place for women's wrestling? I mean, obviously, you were coming off a great series of matches with Mayu Iwatani for that Women of Honor World Championship. What makes Ring of Honor the place to be for women right now? Well, the thing is that there are, uh, <laughs> there's not room in Women of Honor for all of the amazing women that are wrestling right now Mm. there's not room in any one division to contain all of the talent that is out there so um i love that there are all of these opportunities and all of these places that can be home uh, to provide opportunities for all of the women that have been working hard and pursuing wrestling and for me um ring of honor and women of honor gave me an opportunity and um, really trusted me with with a lot to, to help be the sort of groundwork and, and lay this foundation of women of honor. So, um, you know, I, I love that and I love, um, you know, having a place where we can hopefully welcome more and more talent and, and grow to where we have room to um, even build our women's roster beyond what we've done so far. And there were vignettes kind of leading up to the 17th anniversary show just a few short months ago showing a new side to Kelly Klein that people may not have been aware of. Uh, Did you feel this was the right time in your career to start endearing yourself to the audience, to the Ring of Honor fans? Um, I mean, I I don't know about endearing myself. I I spoke from the heart and um, you said what I felt. And Mm -hmm. if people could relate to that and appreciate that, then that's great. I'm, I'm really happy that they, um, you know, could understand and appreciate where I was coming from. And it was soon after that that you became a two-time Women of Honor World Champion at G1 Supercard, Madison Square Garden. How cool was it for you to win that championship in one of the most prestigious arenas in the world over uh, uh, G1 Supercard weekend? Uh, that was great because that's something that I, I've always loved about working with Ring of Honor is that I get to perform in a lot of really um, historic venues, whether it's uh, in music or wrestling, um, just sports, um, you know, it's, it's, it's always really great to, to get to perform there and see those places and be a part of that. So, you know, to be part of 
that event at Madison Square Garden is very historic, and I achieved something that will be part of Ring of Honor's history, Women of Honor's history, and wrestling history forever. So no matter what happens from here on out, um, that's something that I'll always, you know, be able to look back on as something that I've accomplished. And at Best in the World, you are teaming with Jenny Rose to take on the Allure. Uh, Jenny Rose is someone you've been very familiar with in Women of Honor for a few years now. You guys have had your battles and now will be on the same side of the ring at Best in the World. Um, how different has it been for you to have someone by your side as opposed to flying solo? Because you've kind of been, um, you know, your own person over the last couple of years in, win- in, in Women of Honor. And not only that, but have that ally be a former rival of yours as well. When, when I uh, had that rivalry with Jenny Rose, we really had a lot in common, and, and a lot of times you'll see that with a sibling rivalry, um, where you, you may be more similar than you realize and kind of clash. So I think through that, we, we learned that we have a lot of the same goals, and we see um, a lot of things um, sort of in a similar way. So now my goal is still the same, to protect and defend what Women of Honor stands for and what we have been building. And that's not going to change whether somebody's by my side or I'm going it alone. Um, I have these goals and I'm going to pursue that and I'm going to stand up for it. And, you know, if if there's somebody who wants to be part of that and stand with me, uh, then that's awesome, you know, that I have somebody who uh, kind of is on the same page and um, is, is motivated some of the same things that I am. And you weren't pinned or submitted for the first three years of your tenure in Ring of Honor. Uh, do you think the Women of Honor division will ever see that type of dominance again? I kind of hope so. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I want it to always get better and bigger and I want to see um, I want to see women's wrestling growing and I want to see more um just more really talented athletes and performers come through there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really do hope that, um, you know, it just keeps growing and that we can see some other really, um, really incredible people come through there. And you've talked before about the influence that Maria Canellas had on you while you were with, uh, while she was with Ring of Honor a few years ago. So in addition to Maria and yourself, uh, who else has been a big influence for the women of honor division in Ring of Honor? Who, who has been an influence in Ring of Honor. Oh, I'm sorry, just for the women's division specifically that helped kind of get you guys to where you are, in addition to yourself, Maria, and a few other people like that. I mean, everybody that's, that's come through and, and been a part of it is, has played their part, mm-hmm. um, especially when we were really first starting. Um, it, it took a lot of faith, and uh, we didn't always know what was going to happen um, or how how long it was going to take um, so it definitely took a lot of a lot of women who had a lot of faith and um, those of us who who stuck around and, and kind of stayed the course uh, you know believed in it and believe in it and that's that's what's necessary that's what it takes for uh, something like this to to get an opportunity to grow the way it has and currently you're in your second reign as the Women of Honor World Champion. You won it the first time a final battle, one of the biggest pay-per-views, if not the biggest pay-per-view that Ring of Honor puts on all year. And then the second a G1 Supercard in Madison Square Garden. Doesn't get much bigger than that. Uh, what else are you looking to accomplish in your career in Ring of Honor? I really would like to 
help make it a place that um, can can welcome a lot of uh, really talented women, um, whether they're women who are are new to the wrestling fans, and uh, you know we can find find them and, and give them a home, or if it's women that uh, maybe have been wrestling and have been traveling and you know just need need somewhere to call home and to, to be able to practice and perfect their craft. I want to be part of um, you know creating that and kind of leaving a legacy where where women can have um, good opportunities. And are there any specific stipulation types that you would love to see in Women of Honor for yourself specifically? I mean, you guys have had street fights, street fights before, stuff along those lines. Is there any one match you'd be dying to compete in at some point or another, potentially against the Allure if the rivalry gets to that point? I mean, honestly, the <laughs> they are uh, they're pretty sneaky, and um, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is some something to prevent them from running away or jumping the the guardrail and running in and everything so um you know the the obvious choice is a cage match to just keep keep the outside interference um at bay and and really just if i could get one of them in a cage where they couldn't get their friends hopping up to the high heel and where they couldn't run off um I mean that that may be the only way to really mm-hmm. uh, see see who's who and what's what. I would, yeah, I would love to see that at some point. Let's hope that after Best in the World, after you and Jenny Rose pick up the victory there, of course, we could see that transpire at some point in the not-so-distant future. And as we wind down here, final two questions for you. First one being from Deanna Perrazzo to Jenny Rose, Mayu Iwatani to now the Allure. Um, who has been your favorite rival on Ring of Honor so far in the time that you've been there for? Oh, my goodness. My favorite rival... Um... I think that I would, I would have to go with Jenny Rose uh, mm-hmm. because she and I both just kind of kept pushing each other um, beyond our own limits and beyond each other's limits to the point where uh, we both competed in each of our very first street fight uh, situation because that's you know, neither of us was willing to to give up and, and we were both willing to um, you know, step out of our comfort zone to you know see who could go the limit so um that's that's one of the things that i really respect and appreciate about her is that um you know she wasn't afraid to to go outside the box and go outside her comfort zone to um you know to to face me and to challenge me and final question for you 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 faced pretty much everyone available right now in the women of honor division um, obviously there's a few exceptions, but for the most part, you faced and beaten everyone in women of honor. Is there anyone currently in ring of honor or beyond, um, that you're most excited to eventually face and defend hopefully your championship against after you're done with the allure at best in the world? I, wow. Um, there, there are so many. And like I said, the, the women's wrestling scene has really exploded, um, as more opportunities and more, um, you know, roster spots at different companies have become available. Um, somebody that I was really uh, hoping to face was Kylie Ray, and uh, I didn't get the opportunity to do that yet. Um, mm-hmm. But she's somebody that really caught my attention um, when when you know I first saw her, and then um, another just kind of nostalgia, I guess maybe would be the word um, but the the first woman that I 
remember seeing Russell live that really, um, really kind of made me want to do it and made me feel like I could do it was Madison Eagles. So if I ever got a chance to actually face her in a match, um, that, that would be amazing. I was in a gauntlet match with her years ago, but we were not in the ring at the same time. So mm-hmm. it was like, ah, oh, that would have been awesome. But, um, that would be somebody that, uh, she was, um, you know, whether she knows it or not, she was influential and significant to me, um, in my career. So that would be somebody I'd really like to work with. You'll be champion for a long time to come, so hopefully there is plenty of possibilities and plenty of time left for you to face all these people and, and many more in Women of Honor. It's going to be a great time. But, uh, yeah, best in the world. Looking forward to your match. You and Jenny Rose against the Allure going to be an awesome match. Uh, thanks, Kelly, for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Once again, big thanks to Kelly for her time. Very much enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you guys did as well. And that being said, you can check out Ring of Honor Best in the World, streaming live on Pay-Per-View and on Honor Club next Friday, June 28th. Kelly's going to be in action. The Ring of Honor World Champion Matt Taven will be in action. Jeff Cobb will be in action. Jay Lethal will be in action. And many, many more. Uh, Speaking of which, like I said earlier, we have another exclusive interview with another Ring of Honor star here on WrestleRant Radio next Thursday. So stay tuned for that. Won't reveal it until it gets closer, but it's going to be another great interview. So we'll transition from Ring of Honor here to WWE as we have stomping grounds this Sunday live from Tacoma, Washington, From what I've seen, the tickets aren't selling too hot right now, and I can't say I'm surprised. Uh, This show has very little hype behind it. I cannot tell you I am overly anticipating stomping grounds this weekend. There are a few matches on the card I think could be good. I will say that after the developments that transpired this week on Raw and on SmackDown and even 205 Live, uh, we'll talk more about the pay-per-view as it gets closer to the end of the episode. Real quick, I do want to run down Raw and SmackDown from this past week. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Raw was a great show. I will say it was an improvement over past weeks. Uh, There were a lot of upset people, people that didn't really understand where I was coming from and calling Raw a bad show this week. I didn't think it was a good show. The main purpose of these episodes of Raw and SmackDown should be to sell me on the pay-per-view coming up this Sunday. They both failed. SmackDown, I thought, was a much better show than Raw. Raw wasn't terrible. I did call it atrocious in one tweet on uh, during Raw on Monday, so I guess I kind of take that back. It wasn't it, it, it wasn't the worst Raw I've ever seen, but that's the issue. Because one of these episodes is not as bad as it was the week before, people automatically constitute it as a good show. But quite honestly, looking back at the Raw results now, there's not many moments, maybe one or two, that stand out as being positive. Beyond that, there aren't many moments from this show that stand out in a positive way, that stand out in my mind as being, oh, wow, this was a great show because of these one or two segments. No, overall, I thought it was a pretty abysmal show again. I cannot remember the last time Raw was consistently good from week to week, maybe going back a year, if not longer than that. It's been quite some time since Raw was really in a good groove, Um, And, you know, these bad periods do last from time to time for like a few weeks, if not a month or two. Raw's been terrible now for fucking months, if not close to the last year. And it's rubbing off on SmackDown now, too. That's the worst part about this. Uh, But Raw on Monday did open with Elias revealing that he was selected by Baron Corbin to be the special guest referee for Sunday's Universal Championship match between Baron Corbin and Seth Rollins. Elias was then attacked by Rollins, 
Bobby Lashley, Braun Strowman, everyone involved in the subsequent Fatal 5-Way to crown a new number one contender to the United States Championship. So because of that, Elias said, no thanks, I'm good, I'm not going to be the ref for your match at Stomping Grounds. That started the trend on the show of Rollins taking out everyone that Baron Corbin approached to be the special guest referee. Um, it was fine, but I thought this made Seth Rollins look like the worst babyface in the entire fucking world. Um, I didn't really have anything him against, I didn't really have anything against him attacking Elias so much as I did EC3, Eric Young, who had no ill intentions of screwing over Seth Rollins. Elias, I understand. EC3, Eric Young told Baron Corbin, you know, maybe. And then he approached Seth, and then Eric Young goes, oh, you know, I only really said maybe because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make Baron Corbin mad or make him upset, make him think I will be the referee. Rollins goes, oh, okay, you know, I understand, whatever. Eric Young walks off. Seth Rollins wastes no time in blasting him over the back with a steel chair shot, showing that he is not only a bad friend, but just a bad baby face. And this is the same guy, as I was tweeting someone about this um, during Raw on Monday, the same fucking guy that was the most over babyface in the entire WWE only about a year ago was Seth Rollins for being a fighting champion, just a, a very likable guy. What the fuck happened? They find way to ruin. They, they find new ways to ruin these people every single week with things that are just not necessary. I see what they were going for here. I understood what they were trying to do. I'm not a fan of it. I I thought it made Rollins look like a fucking baby. And just an all-around bad person. Especially when he attacked EC3 and Eric Young. EC3, gof, woof. I don't even know what to say anymore with EC3. I don't. I could sit here, rant, and rave about how poorly he's being booked. Is it really any surprise at this point? The guy's been buried six feet under for months. Four months. John Moxley told a story on the Talk is Jericho podcast. I, it might have been the Wade Keller podcast, one of the two, a few weeks ago, about how he um, was working with EC3, you know, right after he, it was right before he turned back into a babyface, uh, Dean Ambrose, that is. It was right before he went back to being a babyface, he was working with EC3 for a few weeks. And EC3 got booed over Dean Ambrose because people liked Dean Ambrose and people didn't want to see him leave. So Vince, I guess, took that as a sign that he wasn't getting over and they pulled the plug in his push. It wasn't like he was being pushed to the moon before that anyway. Um, if we all, you know, lest we forget EC3 showing up in backstage segments, fucking, you know, uh, not not fucking, but you know what I'm saying, like uh, spraying himself with a water bottle or fanning himself or just looking at himself in a mirror, just doing dumb, nonsensical stuff that didn't help him at all. It labeled him as a loser right from the get-go. So the guy's been dead and buried uh, ever since. And it's a shame to see, but I, I don't know what else you could do to, to, to salvage the guy at this point. He's only been here for a few months. Not to say that he's hit the point of no return, but they're just giving new reasons to these fans to not care about the guy when they do dumb shit like this. When they dress him up as a referee, give him a grand old entrance, and then he gets attacked from behind by Seth Rollins, and then he's made to look like a goof by the New Day. So, it doesn't do anyone any favors, and I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, after the opening segment, we had a fatal five-way, like I said, to crown a new number one contender to the United States Championship between Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, Cesaro, and The Miz, and Ricochet. 
Um, this was good. I liked it. I don't know that the elimination stipulation was necessary. Um, I think it, you know, I had people take pinfall losses that they didn't need to take. Like Baron Corbin, was it really necessary for him to be pinned here? Not really. Um, they could have just had the fatal five way, had a ricochet pin the Miz or Cesaro, Lashley, whoever, and picked up the win that way. They had four other people or three more people eat pinfall losses that they didn't need to suffer. They didn't need to endure. Why bother? Uh, Braun Strowman already feels weak. Bobby Lashley and Cesaro are, could not be any more dead in the water. Miz, I'll talk more about the Miz in my SmackDown review, but he has officially been buried as a babyface. And again, I don't use that word buried often, but he has absolutely been buried as a babyface. Um, but again, this was a good match. The right person won. I do like the idea of Ricochet and Samoa Joe for the United States Championship at Stomping Grounds. It's a fresh match. They should work well together. Give them enough time, and it could be a show stealer. So uh, this was good. Another good one for Ricochet. They kind of lost their way with him when he first came to Raw on his own um, post Alistair Black tag team. They had him lose to Robert Roode. They had him lose to Cesaro one time, and then Baron Corbin, which made no fucking sense. Um, but he's finally back to his winning ways, which is really cool to see. Um, he's now beaten Cesaro. He's beaten Cesaro. Um, he beat The Miz here to win this whole match. But, at le- you know, at least he's winning more matches than he's losing. So that's a right step. That's a positive step in the right direction, which is cool to see. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to Ricochet and Cesaro at the... Or Ricochet, excuse me, and Samoa Joe at the pay-per-view on Sunday. Samoa Joe did ambush Ricochet after the match to send message to the challenger. This was good stuff. Um, I thought this was one of the better things on the entire show. Uh, Becky Lynch and Lacey Evans once again went at it before their pay-per-view match on Sunday. Good segment. I honestly, though, could not tell you any of what they said. Anything from this segment that really stood out to me as being memorable. Nothing. Um, It was just, to me, a segment. It was just kind of there. Um, the feud has really run its course, and I like Lacey Evans, and I really like Becky Lynch, but the feud is really just cooled off significantly. So this segment did not really make me any more excited for their match on Sunday. Maybe in the sense that I'm ready for the rivalry to be over, but beyond that, I thought this was a swing and a miss. It wasn't terrible. I will say that. It wasn't bad. It was just, it, it was one of those segments where it happened, And I don't remember what happened. I remember Becky attacked Lacey, and she was the last woman standing here. Um, But that was it. That was all I remember from this segment, surprisingly enough. So I guess it didn't really do its job in getting me more excited for their match on Sunday. Um, After that, let's see here. We had Daniel Bryan and Rowan come out to address the audience. Really, Bryan, Rowan Rowan was just kind of there to stand there. um, To just kind of address the audience, get some heat ahead of the... Uh, main event where Brian faced Seth Rollins for the first time in four years on this show, which is pretty cool. Um, I'll talk more about that at the end. This was fine. The Viking Raiders came out to interrupt them. They kind of uh, clashed with um, clashed with Brian and Rowan on their way down to the ring. I don't know if that's supposed to be planting the seeds for a future Brian and Rowan and Viking Raiders feud. I hope not. I am so over the idea of Raw wrestlers challenging for SmackDown titles, and vice versa. It's fucking stupid. It's ridiculous. What happens to said championship if the Raw wrestler wins the SmackDown title? They they go to SmackDown, do they bring the title to Raw, which makes even less sense? Nobody knows. Nobody has the slightest clue what the fuck is going on with this wild card rule, 
when it allows wrestlers from other shows to challenge the opposite brands, uh, to challenge for the opposite brands' championships. It makes absolutely no sense. I'm not a fan of it. But speaking of the Viking Raiders, they were back on Raw this week for the first time in seemingly forever to be two local athletes. Uh, This was exactly what it needed to be, but... The Viking Raiders, my God, where the fuck have they been? I'll tell you where they've been, and catering. Except for last week, they were on main event. Um, but other than that, they were back on Raw this week, so. It, it's really sad to see these guys had some momentum when they first got called up, with the exception of the dumb name change. Um, why even bother rebranding them if you have no plans for them? It looked like at one point they were going to be setting their sights on the Raw Tag Team titles, and that they would be the ones, not the Revival to beat um, Hawkins and Ryder for the Raw Tag Team titles. But that didn't happen. They were taken off TV when we had Roman come on Raw every week and Elias and all these other people from SmackDown for absolutely no reason. Um, Hopefully they can continue to build momentum, get back to where they were, but right now they just feel ice cold. People don't care. And why should they care? This was the first time we've seen them on Raw in a month. Over a month. I'm not a big fan of him, but Mojo Raleigh, another guy, who they were hyping up for months and months and months with this new gimmick of his. And then they bring him out, they trot him out on Raw to win a match in England, I think, about a month ago, a month or two ago at this point. He beat maybe Apollo Crews, they want to say. I remember it was Apollo Crews because Apollo had just been drafted back to SmackDown, yet he was appearing on Raw as a wild card. Again, made no sense. And we haven't seen him since. Mojo Raleigh, I'm pretty sure he's been on main event since then, but on Raw... Persona non grata. Why even bother? Why even bother with any of these people? Just, to me, again, the wild card role is such a fucking cancer for this company. It is not doing their roster or their television shows any good. Zero good. Um, It's been a complete backfire since it started about a month and a half ago. I would hope they would get rid of it soon, but they have shown no signs of doing so. Um, So I've completely lost all hope in, in, in that regard. Uh, speaking of the wild cards, Kevin Owens was back on Raw this week with Sami Zayn to host the Kevin and Sami show with Baron Corbin, where Corbin was supposed to reveal who the special guest referee would be for the Universal Championship match at Stomping Grounds. Although it was never revealed, we didn't find out. At, at, we didn't find out at the start of the show. We didn't find out on Raw. We didn't find out in this segment. We didn't find out at the end of Raw. We didn't find out at any point on this episode who the special guest referee would be. Which is kind of what I figured. I figured they would hold off until the pay-per-view. For one thing, I thought they would reveal it here. Part of me thought they might do it here. Just because ticket sales are so low for the pay-per-view. That okay, maybe if we if we reveal who it is, then that'll build interest and get people talking about stomping grounds. But no, they didn't do it. And it's not so much that they didn't do it because I did figure they would wait until the pay-per-view anyway. My biggest issue with the angle is that why even bother advertising it? Why even bother advertising that you would reveal it on Raw, even though you had no plans to? And this goes back to the whole bait-and-switch shit they were doing with Brock Lesnar. I mean, Brock Lesnar, for one thing, saying that he would cash in and teasing it is one thing. Outright saying he would cash in when he didn't is is a slap in the face to your viewers. I know they want to bring in people to watch Raw because there's not many other reasons to watch Raw nowadays. But to bait and switch your viewers is not going to help matters at all. Because it sends the message that you're not going to deliver on what you promised. And they've done this not once, not even twice, but at least three different times in the last month. With people like Brock and now Baron Corbin. 
at a time where viewers are tuning out in droves and the product could not be any worse than it is. And maybe, I guess it could arguably be worse. It could always be worse, but it, it's pretty damn bad right now. Why would you pull something like that? Why would you pull that type of stunt where you advertise something you never had any intention of delivering on? I feel like that's making their case even worse than it already was. It's making the show even, it makes it a lot more difficult to want to trust this company, to think that they will do the right thing when they keep pulling shit like this. Again, to me, it just feels like a a really dumb decision that I don't know why anyone would even bother considering doing it. I know they want to bring people in for the show. They want to not bring people in, but bring viewers in to watch the show. They want to, you know, pull viewers in. But if you're going to do that, then do what you promised that you were going to do. Because those people that you convinced to watch Raw this week, because of what you teased, will not come back next time, now knowing your shit. It's like if someone breaks your trust, you would have no reason to want to trust that person again after what they did to break your trust the first time. It's going to be a while before you get that trust back. And um, with Raw, it's the same thing. Why would these people want to come back, give Raw their time, their effort, their attention, if they know it's just going to disappoint them in the end? I don't blame those people one bit. Paul Heyman came out to address the audience. Basically, or even before that, I apologize. Uh, We had this meaningless two out of three falls match with the New Day taking on Baron Corbin, Kevin Owens, and Sami Zayn. New Day won, I think, in two straight falls, if I'm not mistaken. Um, The only reason this was given a stipulation of that nature, I feel, is to drag it out even longer than it needed to be. To kill more television time that they could have been giving to pretty much anyone else on the roster. Um, it was just dumb. It was just dumb. So, I wasn't a fan of the match from an in-ring standpoint. It was perfectly fine, but I felt it accomplished nothing. They had Zayn get pinned once, and then Corbin got pinned the second time. Um, again, I don't know if the heels ever got a fall. I don't think they did. But yeah, Zayn got beat again. The guy just continues to lose every fucking week. And not just once a week, but like, on both Raw and SmackDown every week, which is kind of impressive now that you, when you really think about it. Um, but Corbin ate a loss too. Not even Kevin Owens, who is doing nothing at the moment. Baron Corbin, who, again, I'm not a big fan of the idea of him challenging for the Universal Championship again on Sunday, but he's supposed to be challenging, supposed to be challenging for Raw's top title at the pay-per-view in six days from this show. And he gets beat. He gets pinned. Now, I know they made up for it, I guess, by having Baron attack Kofi at the end of the episode. I don't really think that made up for it, personally. Um, the damage was done, and people just don't care. Why would you even bother having get? Why would you have Corbin get pinned so close to a world championship match? It doesn't lend him any credibility. doesn't do anything to benefit the New Day. They're just... I mean, I'm glad they're winning. The New Day have been booked very strong since Kofi became WWE champion, and that's great. But Corbin losing so close to this world championship match, regardless of what they did at the end of this episode, is just, it, it gives me even less of a reason to want to watch that match. Thinking about how much of a loser this guy fucking is. Now we get to the Paul Heyman promo, which was fine. Um, He basically teased the Brock Lesnar cash in, will it happen tonight? Will it happen on Sunday? Blah, blah, blah. Obviously, it didn't. I don't think it will happen Sunday. I mean... I do think Brock could show up in at, at the pay-per-view. I'll talk about that soon enough. Um, but the promo was fine. 
I don't know really why we had to have Paul Heyman come out to cut to cut a you know drawn out promo. It wasn't too long, but why waste television time on this when we already know that Brock could cash in at any time? Paul Heyman was on the show last week, and the promos are always good. That's not the issue. The issue it's that it's the same thing every single time. He's been teasing the cash in now for a month, which is fine. But when you have Brock come out and you know tease cashing in, that's one thing. But when you have Heyman come out just to talk about him potentially cashing in at some point, they could have done that via a quick backstage segment or even a you know vignette with Brock and, and Paul Heyman. Not Heyman coming out to talk to the audience about the same thing we've been hearing about for over a month now. I thought that was uh, kind of a waste. So we had this segment backstage on this show. This was one of the few saving graces of this episode of Raw, in my opinion. With Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson. I thought this was really intriguing. So Gallows and Anderson are backstage visiting AJ Styles, who apparently was either cleared by the doctor or will be soon cleared by the doctor. He was with a doctor backstage. And they're all, you know, giddy and happy to see AJ, their old friend. AJ, not quite as happy to see them. So AJ goes, listen, you guys, in so many words, are losers. You started out hot in this very same city. Three years ago, by attacking the Usos, you know, had this great debut, became Raw Tag Team Champions, had great matches with the New Day, the Bar, this team, that team, the Hardy Boys, and then you just fizzled out. That was it. You guys fizzled out fairly quickly, and um, you've been, you know, dead men walking ever since, I guess might be the right term to use, because I feel like every time I see Gallows and Anderson on WWE TV, it's dead man walking. Um, every fucking time, because uh, I feel like we know they're we know that they're on their way out, so why bother investing in these guys? But anyway, they've been dead in the water for a few years now. AJ pretty much brought that up, um, which was very interesting. Gallows and Anderson went on to face off with the Usos. The match was whatever. They, they've had great matches in the past. This went all of two minutes. Uh, Gallows and Anderson lost in, in two minutes after Anderson got distracted doing the two-sweet with Gallows. They got beat that way. So the Usos win. AJ shows his disappointment uh, backstage watching the fucking television, uh, the, the TV at, at this weird-ass angle that we see all the wrestlers watch TV at for whatever reason. Um, so then they do that. And uh, AJ, yeah, they had this backstage segment afterward, too, that was exclusive to WWE.com and their YouTube channel where he said, I tried to motivate you guys, and you guys failed. Get your shit together is basically what he said. So color me intrigued. Um, again, there's not many things worth watching for right now on Raw, aside from the Firefly Funhouse, which I thought was great this week. But this could go somewhere. This could be interesting if they book it the right way. Um, I don't have high hopes. I will say that. Because with this company, they kind of lure you in with these cool, innovative storylines. And then, bam, nothing. Either nothing or they just drop the ball on it completely. So I'm not optimistic, specifically because we know Gallows and Anderson are very likely on their way out come their contracts expiring in the fall. Um, But we'll see. At least they're on the show. AJ's doing something now. Even if he is hurt, he's doing something with them. But I would be all for, and I'm sure I've mentioned this before. I'm absolutely sure I've mentioned this before here on the show. But I would be all for Gallows, Anderson, and Styles all reuniting as the club in WWE. A heel stable would be pretty cool. Um... Either as a heel stable, I guess they could get back together as faces, but they really worked as heels back in 2016 
Um, it would give AJ something to do if he's not going back for the Universal Championship anytime soon. Obviously gets Gallows and Anderson on WWE TV. Um, AJ even mentioned that. He's like, when was the last time you guys were on Raw? Hell, when was the last time you were on WWE TV? And it was basically all these tweets about Gallows and Anderson that we've been seeing for months now, all crumpled in a one segment on Raw. So again, it was cool to see them acknowledge that. And usually when they do stuff like that, it means that they will be doing something with said superstar or said superstars um, at some point in the near future. So I have, a, I have a shred of hope that this could go somewhere. And if nothing else, it's cool for the tag team division on Monday Night Raw, which is in fucking shambles, SmackDown 2. Uh, the Usos are doing their thing with a revival, kind of. Um, it's been on and off in recent weeks. Gallows and Anderson are never even on the show. So something is better than nothing. Roman Reigns came out next to uh, talk about Shane and Drew and how Shane beat him at Super Showdown and now he vows to get back at Drew by um, uh, beating his ass and taking his name or something along those lines at uh, Stomping Grounds. Now, that is the tagline for the pay-per-view. Kick ass and take names, which is a very popular saying, but why that's the slogan for this show, I, I, I don't know. I don't, so I thought that was weird, but Roman calls out Shane, calls out Drew, calls out the whole heel crew here, um, no, no pun intended, or no rhyme intended anyway, uh, Drew, crew, whatever, so Roman goes backstage, attacks the Revival, attacks, I don't know if Elias was back there with them, but he gets rid of the Revival, he lays out Drew backstage, Shane runs to the ring, Roman runs after him. And, um, yeah, he lays out Shane in the middle of the ring, which I was not expecting. Roman got the better of the heel here. Uh, the real feud is Roman and Shane. The real feud is Roman and Shane, not Roman and Drew. I think that much was apparent, but, uh, Roman got his, um, vengeance here over his arch rival. How much of this will, you know, translate to a victory for Roman on Sunday? It remains to be seen. I don't think it will. Um, I, I, I actually do think it will, actually. What I meant to say was for Drew. Uh, will this do Drew any favors? Having Drew get laid out by Roman here, only to lose to Roman again on Sunday after he lost on Raw to Roman and at WrestleMania to Roman, buries that guy again six feet under. It doesn't do him any favors. Drew was a guy a lot of people had pegged to become a world champion at one point um, not too long ago, only a few months ago. And now already he feels like just another dude in the roster because of his association with Shane McMahon. And it's, it's, it's a shame to say. So Roman lays out all the heels here. Um, he kind of did something similar. Or no, he wasn't even on SmackDown. We saw the exact opposite of that um, the very next night on SmackDown. So we'll see how this plays into the match on Sunday. If Roman can beat Drew again, hopefully not. And um, where this goes with Roman and Shane. Because very clearly, it's, it's, it could not be any more obvious that Roman and Shane is the end game here uh, with Roman beating Shane. Not Roman beating Drew, because who cares about that? We had a rare women's tag team title defense on this show between the Iconics and Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss. So the story dating back to last week is that um, Nikki Cross is not so sold on Bailey. Not so sure about Bailey because of what Nikki Cross has been hearing about Bailey from Alexa Bliss, about how she's this disingenuous person and all this other bullshit. And Nikki Cross, being the dumb babyface that she is, believed all this nonsense about Twitter and talking shit and. Um, whatever else that uh, Alexa Bliss was feeding to Nikki Cross. Alexa Bliss is the master manipulator. Nikki Cross, knowing Alexa's history, should know that she's bullshitting, but 
She's desperate for friends, so she doesn't want to believe it, whatever. So Nikki and Alexa, I guess, get a tag team title opportunity because Cross beat Peyton Royce um, last week on Raw or the week before that. It was on a recent Raw. So they get a tag team title opportunity. The match went all of two or three minutes. It wasn't really that good. Um, it was all an angle just to further the feud between Bailey and Bliss going into Sunday's pay-per-view. It was a lot less about the tag team titles and much more about the Bliss and Bailey feud. For what it was, it was fine. It was a decent way to further the feud and, you know, progress that angle. Um, the tag team titles, though, mean absolutely nothing. I think that much is obvious. Those tag team titles might as well be thrown in the toilet because they mean absolutely fucking nothing. Um, so the Iconics, still the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions, unfortunately. And then we get to the main event. For the first time on Raw in four years, Seth Rollins versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, great match while it lasted, but the issue here is, is that they started this match so late that you knew it wouldn't go long. And then to make matters worse, they had Rowan interfere, and they had Rollins win by DQ. For Only for the rest of the locker room to pile out, brawl with each other, and this includes The New Day, Owens and Zayn, The Revival, The Usos. They were all out there brawling with each other. They brawled to the back um, after the uh, it was announced that the match would restart. I forgot who made the announcement that the match would restart. Because no authority figure came out, I don't think. I don't know what the hell happened. Um, but Mike Rowe, Mike Hamilton, or Greg Hamilton, whoever the ring announcer for Raw is, um, had said, oh, we're going to restart this match with no interference, everyone barred from ringside, blah, blah, blah. And what we got was good, but why waste this on Raw with no build-up, no reason for it at all, just an excuse to have a good match on the show? Again, it was a good match. A really good match, actually. Probably the best WWE match I saw this week between Raw and SmackDown. But uh, I just thought it was a little... I, I don't know. I wasn't a fan of it. I, I just I, I thought it was kind of a wasted opportunity because they could always go back to this match down the road or they could have before it happened on Raw with the story that Rollins has never beaten Brian before in WWE. Um, but they had him beat him clean as a sheet here, so it was kind of a wasted opportunity. But um, it was fine. Baron Corbin came out afterward to lay out Seth Rollins ahead of their match at Stomping Grounds. And like I said earlier, no referee revealed for their match at the pay-per-view. Um, so that was Raw. Not a good show in my opinion. The Firefly Funhouse, the Five-Way, and the Gallows and Anderson stuff I thought were interesting. Everything else, the main event was good, but I just thought it was, eh. You know, I thought it was the wrong time to do the match. Too much overbooking in the beginning. Um, the women's tag team title match was a waste of time. The Roman stuff, eh. Just, I don't care about anything involving Shane at this point. God help us if we see another fucking New Day versus... Owens and Zayn match, which we are on Sunday, unfortunately, but after that, we got to move on, because this Owens and Zayn, this Owens and Zayn bullshit is so drawn out, dragged out, stale, stagnant, boring, who cares? We've seen so much of Owens and Zayn together that it's at a point now where I'm so sick of their tag team, and I like them together, but it's at a point now where it's like we've seen way too much of this shit. They're on separate shows for a reason. Fucking enforce the brain split so we can finally split these two away from each other for the next 10 years. So we move on to SmackDown from uh, Tuesday real quick before we uh, give my predictions for Stomping Grounds on Sunday. To open the show, yet another talking segment with uh, The New Day and Dolph Ziggler. Whatever. Um, the, the, the talking stuff didn't really do much for me. 
just because we've heard the same shit from Dolph now from every other episode of SmackDown that you've seen for the last month. So if you've seen any episode of SmackDown dating back to May 21st, which is when Dolph first came back, then you've heard it all by this point because it's the same shit every week with the whole, it should have been me, it should have been me. Just end it. Just end this shit so I don't have to hear about it anymore. Um, but Dolph won here. Dolph had a match against Xavier Woods. It was a pretty good match. They gave them some time. Um, not too much interference. Dolph won clean as a sheet. And it was, it was a good match. It was a good way to kick off the show and a good one for Ziggler, which he needed. Because prior to this point, Ziggler had not won a match in WWE TV since December 3rd, 2018, when he beat Drew McIntyre on Raw. He has not won a match on pay-per-view. He has not won a match on Raw. He has not won a match on SmackDown since then. Until now. So, that was a pretty sad step for a guy that's supposed to be challenging for the WWE Championship on Sunday. Another surprisingly good segment here between uh, Alexa Bliss and Bailey and the Moment of Bliss. So, as soon as I hear Moment of Bliss, I instantly don't care. Because the Moment of Bliss, just the name of the show, is so damaged and associated with just nonsense and failure and, you know, not compelling TV. I don't know what, the, uh, what a better word for it would be, but... Anything involving Moment of Bliss is usually not that good. But this was probably the best Moment of Bliss I've seen yet. Um, Alexa Bliss and Bailey going at it on the mic, just trading verbal jabs, talking about their time in NXT. Alexa Bliss said, oh, you were never nice to me. You were always nasty to me in NXT. The only person that was ever nice to me and gave me the time of day was Charlotte Flair. Then Bailey said, oh, classic Alexa, lying as usual. Um, you don't want to get better. You're not entitled. You're just a, you know, a fucking entitled princess, whatever. Alexa said, I'm not entitled, I'm just better than you. Great promo. I thought this was really, really, really good. Um, in the end, Bailey and Bliss went at it, started fighting. Nikki Cross and Bliss laid out Bailey. Uh, I absolutely have no desire to see Bliss become SmackDown Women's Champion on Sunday. But I thought this was good, though. Probably the best women's segment I've seen on WWE TV, to be quite honest with you, since before WrestleMania. The Becky stuff has not done anything for me at all. Um, but the Bliss... Uh, and Bailey's stuff, up to this point, has been whatever, but this one promo I thought was excellent. And one of the better promo segments I've seen from the women. Really, honestly, the best thing I've seen from the women, period, since probably, like I said before, WrestleMania. So this was really, really good. We had Heavy Machinery in action beating the B-Team. We found out on Sunday they will be challenging Brian and Rowan for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Uh, the Miz came out to go off on Shane McMahon, which the crowd ate up. But it all meant nothing because he went out to lose a tag team match, an elimination tag team match, I should add, with R-Truth as his partner, losing to Drew McIntyre and Elias. So Miz, once again, the ultimate loser in WWE. You know, there was that show at one point, I don't know if it's still on, but The Biggest Loser, that's what The Miz is. He's the biggest loser. The guy cannot win a match to save his life and always gets embarrassed. He always gets embarrassed by Shane McMahon. And it's so infuriating to see, because he was actually on a roll at one point as a babyface. But WWE ruined any momentum he had by having him lose to Shane, not once, not even twice, but three fucking times in a row. It was completely ridiculous. And then we had the main event real quick, two out of three falls match, Kofi and Rollins beating Owens and Zayn again in two straight falls. So Owens and Zayn, it's like they're going out of their way to bury these guys. Between their losses on Raw and SmackDown this week and every other loss they've suffered in the last month, I don't think I've seen Kevin Owens win one match since he lost to Kofi Kingston at 
Money in the Bank. I don't know if that's WWE's way of punishing him for not going on the Super Showdown event, for not going to Saudi Arabia for that event. Sami Zayn couldn't go just because he wasn't allowed. Um, I don't think it was a decision. I think he just was flat out told, no, you can't go because of X, Y, and Z and his um, ethnic background, whatever. I, what, the, what, the, what the hell is going on with these guys? I know they want to make Kofi look strong. That's great. Rollins looks like a million bucks. Looks like a million bucks. Owens and Zayn have looked like complete losers up to this point. They're all over TV. They're way too overexposed. But the issue is, is that they can never back up their trash talking because they're always losing. So I thought this a match, as a match, it was okay. Didn't really get much time. But from a booking standpoint, it was more of the same. It was exactly what you thought it would be with Owens and Zayn once again made out to look like losers. So I wasn't a fan of that. Stomping ground predictions for Sunday. We'll wrap up with this. Uh, SmackDown tag team titles, Daniel Bryan and Rowan taking on Heavy Machinery. And by the way, I won't spend too much time on these predictions just because a lot of this show is very cut and dry and I could not give two shits about it. So real quickly, Bryan and Rowan, Heavy Machinery, SmackDown tag titles. Would love if Heavy Machinery became champions, but they're only really starting to get going. They won a match or two in the last few weeks, which is great. They need more buildup before they before they can become champions. So I would like to see the belts remain on Brian and Rowan. For the Cruiserweight Championship, now there's been no indication made yet that, that this will be on the kickoff show. If anything, I could see Brian and Rowan versus Heavy Machinery being on the kickoff show, which sucks for Brian because Brian was on the kickoff show with Rowan for Money in the Bank after like being in one of the featured matches at WrestleMania, but... It's you know, the match with the least amount of hype around it. It was just made for the. It was just made official for the show on Tuesday, so that's why. But that, that that's what I expect to happen. Uh, Tony Nese, Akira Tozawa, Drew Gulak, triple threat match for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship. Um, I got Tony Nese winning. He's had a great reign so far. Good matches with Ari Daivari, Buddy Murphy. No reason to take the title off him so soon. Drew Gulak is great. Akira Tozawa is also very good. The match should be awesome. Um, if given enough time to shine. And if the crowd's invested too, I don't imagine that they will be, but whatever. Um, I just think it might be too soon to take that belt off of Tony Nese. Akira winning would be cool for the first time in a few years. Drew Gulak has never been Cruiserweight Champion, um, so that would be interesting. But we've already seen Gulak and Nese before. If Gulak wins, he would have to get a rematch. And eh, we've been there, been there, done that. So I would keep the belt on Tony Nese. Uh, the New Days, Big E and Xavier Woods taking on Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn again. For the upteenth time, New Day wins because they are apparent, uh, apparently adamant about burying Owens and Zayn to the best of their abilities. So I got the New Day going over here. For the United States Championship, Samoa Joe defending against Ricochet. Um, this is the match I'm easily the most excited for on this card. Ricochet's been on a roll recently. Samoa Joe just regained the gold for Rey Mysterio, which is why I don't think he'll lose it again here, at least so soon. Um, so I would keep the belt on Joe. Keep Ricochet in chase mode for right now. Make people really want to see him become champion by beating Joe. Uh, but yeah, this should be good if they have the right chemistry and they're given enough time to really go out there and shine. This could be a potential show stealer. So I'm looking forward to this match. I got Joe winning here for the Raw Women's Championship. Becky Lynch versus Lacey Evans again. I could see Lacey winning after losing at Money in the Bank. I don't think that really does much for the Raw Women's Division. Um, <laughs> they really have not built up any, they have not really built up any other women except for Alexa Bliss outside of Becky and Lacey. And Alexa's on SmackDown right now doing her thing with Bailey. So 
I, I don't think Evans winning is the right choice. Becky's arguably not as hot as she was a few months ago, but she's still the best thing going on that Raw women's division. So keep the belt on her, build to a potential Becky-Naya match when Naya comes back, Becky-Sasha when Sasha inevitably comes back. Um, I'm not sure what other options there are right now, but anything is better than Lacey. I, I like Lacey, but now just does not feel like the right time to put the belt on her. So I got Becky retaining here. SmackDown Women's Championship, Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. Bailey wins. There's no reason to put a SmackDown Women's title on a Raw wrestler. I like Alexa, but we've been down this path before. Give Bailey a real run. Have her avenge the losses that she suffered to Alexa Bliss a few years ago, and then move on to other opponents. Because I could see what they're doing here with Bailey and Nikki, and I like it, but at least it's something. But they really need to have Bailey focus on challengers from the SmackDown side. Liv Morgan, Ember Moon, Mandy Rose, Sonya Deville, even Carmella, God forbid. I mean, there's anyone, anyone, anyone outside of the Raw Women's Division. Alexa Bliss. This should be a fun match. They have good chemistry. I want Bailey to win and then move on. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre. I really want Drew to win because he has yet to beat Roman Reigns in any capacity. Um, I do think Roman will win here coming off the loss to Shane at Super Showdown. And then Roman goes on to beat Shane either at Extreme Rules or... God, I really hope this does not drag on to SummerSlam, but whatever. Um, I do think Roman wins here, unfortunately. And then for the top two title matches on the show, Kofi and Dolph steal cage for the WWE Championship. Kofi's got to win. Ziggler is not that heel rival that Kofi needs right now to really sink his teeth into and really get going as WWE Champion. He's had a great reign so far as WWE Champion, but he needs a better foil than Dolph Ziggler. He's fine, but it's very clearly a filler feud for Kofi. Before Kofi moves on to like Roman Reigns or Randy Orton or uh, who have you, you know, anyone else but Dolph or Kevin or Sammy, because they've all been beaten to an oblivion at this point. Uh, so Kofi wins here on his own, no interference. And then the main event, Seth Rollins, Baron Corbin for the Universal Championship with a special guest referee who I think will be Brock Lesnar. I don't know who else you put in that spot. I've seen people say, oh, what about Bray Wyatt? Yeah, it would be interesting, but, but should Bray Wyatt really be brought back as a fucking referee? Unless they have Bray Wyatt out there, not with the mask, but as the, like, the goody douche-shoes, uh, Mr. Rogers version of Bray Wyatt that we've seen on Firefly Funhouse recently, and he has some fun with it, that could be interesting. But other than that, I have no desire to see Bray Wyatt in this spot, because I know they would fuck it up somehow. Um, I got Rollins winning, Baron Corbin winning would be, I mean, I like Baron Corbin, but I think Baron Corbin is universal champion right now, is the last thing that Raw needs. They need more than Baron Corbin. Um, as Universal Champion. I think Rollins should retain the title here. I got Brock being the referee, which, again, sounds weird, but if he spends a majority of the match fucking around with Seth, maybe it backfires, Rollins wins. It could be interesting. So that's why I got Brock Lesnar in that spot. And that's stomping grounds for Sunday, guys. Again, a card that I'm really not all that excited for, but maybe because of my low expectations, it will end up exceeding them. Like, it's kind of the, it's, it's kind of like with Raw, you know? Raw has been so bad recently that it's gotten to the point now where an episode that is slightly better than the week prior, people are praising as one of the better shows in weeks. Yeah, it's a better show. doesn't mean it's a good show. Um, I think our standards are so low now that people are accepting mediocre as great for Raw standards. But 
it is what it is. Hopefully things improve coming out of the pay-per-view, but I'm not overly optimistic. And that's going to do it, guys, for WrestleRant Radio this week. Thank you for checking out the show. As always, I appreciate it. Thanks to Kelly Klein once again for her time earlier on in the episode for our awesome exclusive interview. We will have on another Ring of Honor wrestler on WrestleRant Radio next week, ahead of Best in the World that Friday, which I will also be doing uh, picks and predictions for in addition to a review, in addition to a review from uh, Stomping Grounds on Sunday. But as for me, folks, you can find me on the socials at WrestleRant on Twitter, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube as well at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, NextDayWrestling.net for full episodes of WrestleRant Radio, as well as iTunes. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio on the Apple Podcast app. You'll get every new episode on Thursdays, in addition to every archived episode dating back to October of 2013. So with all that being said, guys, have a great rest of your week slash weekend. Check out the exclusive interviews with Kelly Klein from uh, Daily DDT. Should be up either Thursday or Friday. And my feature on Northeast Wrestling up right now. Just got word. It's already been published on BleacherReport.com. Have a great one, guys. I'm Graham G. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Oh,